Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. My name is Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico Church Arlington, and we are finishing Hebrews. We've been in Hebrews for a long time. Yes. <laughs> it's interesting because at the very end, I think that the author is self-aware enough to be ironic, but at the end of his letter, he encourages the audience to bear with his word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. <laughs> well, that might be true in some sense, but in another sense, this is a really in-depth and long letter. There's a lot packed in here. And so I was reflecting on just the last six months and kind of thinking like, okay, what, what have I felt happening as we've kind of been soaking in this letter to the Hebrews um, during that time and asking some people to kind of consider that question as well. And there's a lot of things that have probably been going on. And for different people, the letter probably has hit you in different ways. For some people, it may have been kind of um, a really interesting equipping for how to read the whole Bible, and Hebrews will do that. It'll actually help you understand and read the Old Testament because it has so many different Old Testament themes summarized and then explained and resolved in Jesus. And that's a great thing. Um, for other people, it may have given you a greater appreciation for the church. Just kind of like that constant awareness that we are not on this Christian journey alone, but they are, we're actually with people. We're with God's family as he is kind of bringing us through this life. Another one that I was thinking of was just how constant and steady the letter is through all of the tumultuous kind of ups and downs of life and how it really truly acts and serves as an anchor of the soul. It kind of gives you a steadiness as you meditate on it. And it kind of just like, it's like, okay, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it. Keep going. All of those things are awesome, and they all actually do the same main thing that I want you to see and, be, and remember, and that is they bring you closer to Christ. They bring you closer to Jesus. And so that is really the burden that the author has, that, and that because he's inspired by the Spirit, that the Spirit of God has for us is that we would be brought into a closer proximity, closer intimacy to Jesus. And he does it through, you have a better knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done for you now. He's doing it through reminding you that Jesus is actually the one interceding for you at the right hand of God, that his work is not done in your life, but it continues he does it through showing us how that is our job together as the people of God is to point each other to Christ. And so we're experiencing that in community. So all of these things are pointing us and bringing us closer to Jesus. And so that's kind of where the letter ends in the benediction. It's these last two verses before kind of like this random final greetings section. And we're just going to spend some time in the benediction this morning, we're going to be looking at the last words of, that are contained in this formal address to the people. But I want to remind you of something that happened at the very beginning. The author starts out this letter 
in kind of this epic fashion by saying, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So he is speaking Jesus to us. The Father gives us this word. And so I wanted to put that before you as we read this and kind of dive into it a little bit and then respond to it here this morning. So you can follow along with me. We're going to be reading from Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Very familiar verses for you probably at this point. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you again this morning as we conclude this series, um, and we're thankful that even though we're going to move on to a different book, um, different part of your word, that your spirit continues to build on these themes. Your spirit continues to draw us nearer to Christ, to take us to him, that we would continue to be sanctified, that we would continue to have our eyes open to our need for him and how he provides everything that we need. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would, um, yeah, again, here this morning, that you would draw us close through your Son so that we can truly be an evidence of your glory in this world, that we can express your beauty to everyone that we meet. We ask that you would do all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, over the last six months... And I'm just using six months as kind of like a random swath of time. We've been through a lot. Personally, corporately as a church, we go through things. Things happen. We go through grief when we lose things or we lose people in our life. We go through anxiety as the future becomes more uncertain because of different things happening different situations that we're put into. We become fearful at the prospects of what we might lose in the future. We're uncertain. We're glad. We're happy. We're brought into seasons of flourishing and prosperity. All of these things happen just through the course of living life, don't they? And the more you continue to live, the more you're going to have experiences that are just going to take you on this roller coaster of life. And there's going to be times, certainly, if they haven't already happened to you, where you're kind of at that point where you're like, "Hmm, have I lived the best days of my life? Am I looking back? trying to remember, to revisit, to recall something that I think was better than where I'm at now or where I see myself going. Changing jobs will do this to you. Being in the same job will do this to you, won't it? 
where you start a job and you're really excited and you're passionate about it, and then you're there for five years and you just are bored to death and you've completely lost sight of the mission or maybe the company has lost sight of the mission and you're doing something else and you're looking back and you're trying to recapture what you had. Having kids will definitely do this to you because the life that you were living is completely transformed when you bring another human being into it. And all of a sudden, your life becomes progressively more and more about your kid. You're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't travel as much as I should have. I didn't do all those experiences that I should have done. And you might have a little bit of a regret. You might have some frustration. You might have some sadness. All of this is normal. You might, as you continue to get older, have friends and family and people that you love die. And it kind of creates this sadness. And as you reflect on your life and you think about it, you're wondering, are my best days behind me? And I think the, the main kind of thrust of this final encouragement, and it's, it's really a prayer that the author is pouring out, but it's flowing right out of his heart. And the, the main thrust of it is that your best days, for all of you who are in Christ, your best days are ahead of you because you're moving towards something. You're moving towards someone. And so we're going to look at how that works, how that actually is true, because that's a statement that I am skeptical of all the time. I'm like, hmm, but what if it's not? <laughs> what if, what if I, my best days were in my early 20s? What if my best days were in college? What if my, burst, be, my best days were at that other company, in that other job? Well, the author says that he wants God to equip us to do his will. He wants God to equip us to do his will. And another way of understanding that, if we kind of zoom out and remind ourselves of who we are and who God is, that we are created for God's glory. We are created to do his will. And so the author is kind of saying, he's praying that God would then equip us to do his will. That as we continue to live this life, that we would live more and more in line with our purpose. So do you feel equipped? Do you feel equipped to do the will of God, to be fulfilled in doing the will of God in the season that you're currently in? in a season of weakness, in a season of grief, in a season of sickness, in a season of frustration, in a season of depression, do you feel equipped? I'm going to be honest, I don't. When I read this, I'm like, this sounds really nice, but it's hard for me to actually grab onto it. But this last portion of the book of Hebrews will really help you do that. Because what is going to happen 
in this little two verses is that the author is bringing the power of the death and resurrection of Christ to bear on your life. I don't know if you've ever done that. Maybe you haven't. Maybe that's never actually hit you where you felt the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus applied and brought to bear on your own life. But that's what he's doing. That's what the author is doing. So we're going to look back at who God is and what he has done, and then we're going to look forward to what we are called into. So looking back, the author first describes God here as the God of peace. And that gives us a huge clue as to what he is doing. Because peace, as it's being used here, and a lot of times in the New Testament, peace is alluding to this future satisfaction, this future rest, the fulfillment of all things that is going to happen when Jesus returns. But it's something that we are still looking forward to, and universally, as a human race, we are longing for. We want rest. We want fulfillment. We want satisfaction. I know this because I played Mario 64. (laughs) And that game was my life when I was, I don't know how old, but I was trying to beat that game and get all the things. I can't, I think they're stars or coins. I can't, yeah, stars. (laughs) And I was obsessed with it. And it was work. And I was getting mad. I would get really sad through the controller got in fights with my siblings. I was going to the end to finish the game, to beat Bowser, the final boss. And here's what happened. Once you win, once you beat the game, you don't have to touch the controller. You step away, and this parade happens. And the life of this world exists without Bowser. Just for a minute. And it gives you a glimpse into it. And it kind of like stimulates your imagination. And that's what we all want. We all want a future without the evil that we are plagued with right now. And that's who God is. He is right now, the God of that peace. In fact, God entered into that rest, into his peace, right after he created. He entered into his seventh day. He rested from his works. And what that means is that it was perfect. It was finished. It was as he intended it. And this has always blown my mind because we receive the world in a very different way because it's plagued with sin. And God didn't intend for sin and death and evil to invade his world. He didn't intend for it. But God is the God of peace. Evil, death, sin did not disrupt his peace. It didn't bother him. He didn't become anxious. He didn't worry about how the world was going to be redeemed. 
He had planned it from the beginning of time. The God of peace. That's who he is. He is finished. He is perfect. He does not change. He's not in process. He's not getting better. He is the God of peace. So that's who God is. What God does reflects that peace. And you see what the author is kind of, what he's doing, it seems really interesting to me anyways, is that this is the first time in Hebrews where the resurrection is explicitly mentioned. It's alluded to, and it's presupposed in other places, but this is the first time he explicitly says that it was God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. So he's explicitly pointing us to the resurrection at the very end. And I think he's kind of been building up a little bit of tension and showing us just a little bit of glimpses into what the resurrection means when he talks about the ascension, when he talks about the intercessory work of Christ, when he talks about Jesus continuing as a high priest forever, he's hinting at the resurrection, but now he's unleashing it in power. And he's doing that specifically because of the context of this audience. Remember the kind of pressure that they are under, the kind of despair that has entered into this church because they've seen friends leave the church. They've seen friends imprisoned. They've seen friends robbed. They've been beaten. They've been killed for being Christians. And so the author is not only reminding them of who God is as the God of peace, but he's reminding them and pointing them to what God has done as the God of peace. He's raised the dead. And he's using language that is reminiscent of that passage in Isaiah that we read before, where it's an allusion to Moses bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, through the waters that destroyed the Egyptians, through the waters of death, we're to think of. And the work that God did in saving the Israelites out of Egypt got brought into question, didn't it, in the, in the wilderness. That was the, what they were asking the Israelites. In the wilderness, they were like, why did you bring us out of Egypt just to keep us here? Surely there's got to be something more. And if there's not, then our best days are behind us. We want to be back in Egypt. At least there we had predictable food. Right? And so the author is pointing us to the resurrection in the same way that God's people looked back on the Exodus event and Moses leading them out of Egypt and then God delivering them into the promised land. But it took some time. It took that journey of 40 years in the wilderness to then arrive at the destination of the promised land. And even that didn't last. And so that's the theme of Hebrews, is that we need someone better than Moses. We need a deliverance that is better than what we received out of Egypt. And the author's reminding them that deliverer is God through Christ, don't go back. Your best days are ahead.
Your best days are ahead. How did God bring Jesus back to life? How did he call him out of death? It's a good question. The author answers this question at the end of verse 20, which functions as this really unique phrase that both operates backwards to explain things and operates forwards to explain things. And it's by the blood of the eternal covenant. So God, the God of peace, brought again from the dead Jesus by the blood of the eternal covenant, by Jesus' blood. This is beautiful. This is amazing. This is one of the ways that Jesus is so immensely better than Moses. It's the great shepherd of the sheep. Because Jesus poured out his blood for us, yes? He poured out his blood for the forgiveness of sins. This is something we say almost every week in communion. That his blood was poured out to make atonement, going back into the letter of Hebrews, and how he's made explicitly clear that the sacrifice of Jesus is better than bulls and rams, which only pointed to him. He has poured out his blood, and that happened on the cross. That happened as Jesus was crucified. But that blood, which was poured into the dust, didn't stay there. It didn't get poured out into the dirt just to be soaked into the earth and forgotten. The very blood that was poured out in this eternal covenant, guys, it's the same blood that is going through Jesus' body right now. That's the power of his blood. Adam was made from the dust by the breath of God. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, received a new body as his blood went into the holy places as a sacrifice for the sins. The blood would be sprinkled in the temple in the holy places to allow the high priest to come and to be intimate with God, to be in proximity to God. The blood of Christ has gone into the heavenly realm, into the very throne room of God, and it has made Jesus' home there with God. And that is what God has done. And all of this is to encourage us. It's to point us to how we have been equipped. It is bringing to bear the importance of the crucifixion and the resurrection for our current lives. Because it's by that same blood that we are equipped with everything good to do his will. And so Jesus' blood doesn't only make Jesus' home with God, but it makes our home with God. When we trust in him, we are brought into the heavenly throne room with God through the blood of Jesus. And so all of this is a wonderful reminder. It's what 
the God of peace has done for you. It's what he's offering to you. It's what we have to remind ourselves of as we live the Christian life because we're going to feel like we're constantly put in positions where we can't win, where we're going to fail, where we fail to do God's will. Doing God's will, there's a lot to it, turns out. And so we are going to constantly bump our heads against that point of failure. It's going to seem too big for us. It's going to seem impossible. We're going to have situations in our lives that resemble death, that are going to feel impossible, that are going to feel like we can never get out of but we've been equipped by the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We've been equipped with that through the Spirit. Just like we learned in the catechism this morning, the Spirit is poured out on the church from the throne room, bringing to bear all that Christ has done for us, bringing it into our present moment, into our present lives. And so here is what the author wants this congregation that he's writing to to see. It's the same thing that God wants us to see and believe in our context, in our lives. That no matter what is happening to you, you are able to do God's will. But it's not in your own strength. It's not by your own ability. He has given you everything that you need. He's already given it to you. And what a difference that makes. Because I've been put into positions and had jobs where I've been told to do something and had none of the resources to actually do it. Have you guys ever done that before? It's not fun. It's really hard. And you will want to get out of that situation very quickly because it will create anxiety and stress and pressure and you'll feel alone in it. You'll feel alienated and isolated. And that's very different than what we're being encouraged to do here, which is, yes, to do the will of God. That's a very powerful, that you may do his will. That is something that is being held up as an expectation, but it's with the provision of Jesus. So, I don't know what, situation you're in where you're feeling that pressure, where you're feeling like, okay, I'm trying to work towards something that's going to be good. I'm trying to work towards something that is going to lead me closer to that state of peace, to defeating that final boss, towards restoring some type of order or bringing some type of satisfaction in my life. But fill in the blank just happened. Or this keeps happening. And so it's tempting for us to then, because it's not happening as we want it to, to start to doubt our equipping. To start to doubt whether or not we actually have been provided with everything that we need to do what we're being asked to do. And so one of the things that we have to acknowledge here is a tension of wills that we all have. So many times, 
we will imagine what God wants for us is the same exact thing as what we want for us. And friends, we have to be willing to let go to really understand what the author is trying to do and what God wants to do in these situations, we have to be willing to let go of our will for those situations. Because maybe God's will is not so much that you would be delivered out of a really difficult situation, but maybe his will is that you are going to be transformed in the midst of it that you are going to become closer to Jesus through difficulty. Maybe his will is not that you get the type of life that you want or planned or designed at some point. The perfect family, the perfect relationship, the perfect job situation, the perfect place. And instead, that you in times of want, of unmet desire, will learn more and more how he completely fulfills and satisfies that desire in an even better way. You see, the job that we are given as God's people to glorify him, to bring him glory, it's actually a very simple job compared to the resources that we have. But we have to be willing to be weak. We have to be willing to let go of our plans, of our will, our desire, and to truly embrace and trust God's will, God's desire in our lives. In the pain, in the frustration, in the sadness, to trust, to let go. Because what we will see over time, lived out over years and decades of life, of walking with Christ, of drawing near to him in seasons like that, is what we're going to see that all along the Spirit is working in us, things that are pleasing to God. We are going to see hints and foreshadowings of the finished product. We're going to see a character that starts to resemble more and more the character of our Lord who died for us, who lived a perfect life, who had the most beautiful life that we've ever been able to see on this earth. And we are going to start to look like that. We are more and more every day looking more and more like that. Believe that, friends. When you are trusting in Christ, this is something that is happening because it's the power of resurrection coming to bear in your life, bringing you farther along, farther into God's plan for us, his people. And we know what that looks like. We might not know all of the details of how it's going to work itself out in this life, but we know the end. We know those credits We know that last final scene after the final boss has been defeated because we have a picture of it. And it's God the Father presenting us, the church, to Christ, washed in his blood, perfect, holy, pure, joined to him 
for eternity, face to face with our Lord and Savior. That is ultimately what our future entails. And it's a future that brings glory to Christ. It's a future that more and more as we trust that vision, that will, that design for our lives, we're going to live for and long for and work for. But it's going to be finished. And it's going to be finished not by human strength, not by us completely defeating sin in our lives, but it's going to, be, it's going to happen when Jesus comes back for this world to end the reign of evil, to end the indwelling sin that continues to plague us, to end all of those parts of our hearts that want to turn back, that want to earn our atonement somewhere else, that want to go back to days that we think are better. Because friends, your best days are ahead of you, Christians. Your best days are ahead of you. Because every day you are being sanctified to resemble Christ, and every day that goes by, you are moving closer to the day when Jesus comes back for us. And when we realize our final and full purpose, which is to bring him glory, and we will enter into that for eternity. And so, that's amazing, isn't it? Allow that to wash over you in the midst of your circumstances right now. Allow this vision to intoxicate you, to fill your deepest desires, your longings, your senses. Allow God's will to become your will. And allow the glory of Christ to fill everything that you are, your deepest desires. Live for him. He's living for you. He has died for you. And he will continue to equip you with everything that you need. We are going to, in a minute, do something that I think is cool. When I said this to other people, they kind of looked at me. They're like, what are you talking about? For the first time, we've just heard these verses read and kind of talked about them a little bit, seeing what God is speaking to us. But we have been reciting these verses as our benediction for the last six months or so. And it's the way that God is sending us out. So he's sending a blessing out onto us to go into the world. But right now what we're going to do is we're going to respond as his people before we go out with song. We're going to worship God. We're going to glorify him by singing together in one voice. We are going to remember what he has done for us at this table. We are going to try more and more to grow into God's will for our lives as a church. And so I just wanted to reflect on how cool that is, that today we actually get to, we do this every Sunday, but these words are going to fuel our worship of him. And it's a way that we are actually doing the will of God to offer 
thanks and praise to Christ to bring him glory through our song, through singing our song in all of the context of our lives, lifting with one voice praise to Jesus. So let's pray to him before we sing about him and to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for these words. We thank you for the richness of them. We thank you for how you have shown yourself in them. Father, Son, and Spirit. To be the one who is sustaining us, the one who is guiding us, the one who is empowering us in everything that we do. And Lord, I ask that you would help us, that we come to you in great need of you. We come to you in in need of strength and trust to let go, to let go of our own wills. We come in need of strength and trust in times of uncertainty, in times of pain, in times of suffering. Lord, and so we ask that you would meet us here, that you would show us the truth and the power of these words as they come to us through the power of your spirit. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.